Well, we're going to finish today uh, our sermon in Philemon. And just to, to start, there's a lot of phrases that we use that we cite as biblical phrases, but really actually aren't in the Bible. So uh, God helps those who helps themselves. That actually came from one of Aesop's fables. Uh, Hercules and the Wagoneer, a, a man's wagon breaks down and he prays to the God and Hercules comes down and says, put your shoulder into it. And he gets the wagon out. And so that phrase is then born that God helps those who helps himself. Cleanliness is next to godliness actually came out of a sermon by John Wesley in 1791, where he talked about the duty of being clean, like literally physically actually taking a bath. Um, hate the sin and love the sinner while we would understand that. St. Augustine actually first wrote that in about 400 AD, and then it became even more popular when Mahatma Gandhi used it in his autobiography in 1929. Money is the root of all evil, and we know that's very, very close to what the scripture says. Uh, money is used throughout every single culture, and not, money in itself is not bad. Money actually does a lot of good, uh, but the Bible says it's the love of money, right? That when that becomes the affection of our heart, that's when we have problems. Uh, the phrase, this too shall pass, actually goes back to a Persian poet of the 13th century, which that then stemmed from a Persian fable where there was a king that desired to turn sadness into happiness. And so what was done was a ring was created and inscribed on that ring was the phrase, this too shall pass. God won't give you more than you can handle. That comes out of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says God won't tempt you more than you can bear. So it's not necessarily about our experiences, uh, but God basically is saying, I'm going to give you a way out from sinning. Uh, but we do know in our experiences that God is with us, because if we're honest about it, I don't think anybody wants to go through anything difficult. Right. I mean, I think sometimes when I stub my toe, that feels more than I can handle and more than I can bear sometimes. Um, and the last phrase that we often use is the phrase forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. That as we try to help people go through life as they deal with struggles and problems when people have been hurt and we talk about forgiveness, right? We say forgive and forget it. And nowhere in scripture is that stated, okay? That's not a biblical idea as much as we may say it. Uh, that's never been anything that's come from the lips of the Lord. Uh, and we have to be honest that as humans, we are always going to remember things that have been done to us. It's, it's not like I can just take every part of it uh, and just get rid of it. There's going to be recollections that come back and memories and, and thoughts and emotions that come back uh, that happen to us. And so what I want to finish off today as we close out the sermon series on the art of forgiveness is help address that idea about forgiving and forgetting and really what we should be saying instead. Uh, but we've been going through, and if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, we started with uh, the motivation to, to forgive that because we are followers of Jesus Christ, we should be like Christ and Christ commands us 
to forgive, right? Again, we don't have the luxury of saying, I'm not going to do it, right? That is a commandment that we are to work to in that process. We then got into the idea of the cost of one who forgives, that again, we live in a sinful world and we bear the pain and the scars and the suffering of what people have done to us and what we have done to other people. And ultimately, that if we are going to forgive, somebody has to absorb that hurt and that pain and be willing to move on. And we know that, again, Christ is the one that has done that for us. And then last week, um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, the motivation, that was two weeks ago, Uh, we talked about the motivation to forgive, again, was through a loving heart that change is possible, that when we forgive, that there's transformation that can happen in our lives. And so we want to do that not only out of love, but also the fact that we are a witness to the unbelieving world of the testimony of who Jesus Christ is. So again, Paul's desire is to see Philemon forgive Onesimus. Onesimus was his runaway slave, has made it over to Rome, and at some point in the process, under Paul's tutelage, has come to know Christ. And Paul says, look, Onesimus has been wonderful. He's been a real help to me. But you need to go make this right. You need to go back to Philemon. You need to make this right, Philemon. You need to forgive Onesimus. And again, I'm not doing this based off on authority, but I'm basically appealing to you out of the basis of love that this is going to be the best thing moving forward for everybody. Not just you, Philemon, not just Onesimus, not just me, but everybody is going to benefit if we understand and are willing to seek out forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles, again, you can open up to the book of Philemon. There's only one chapter. We're going to start with uh, verse 22 and read through the end, verse 25. It says, And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. So again, we're talking about the history of one forgives. I think when you look at that, it's pretty self-explanatory. So I'm just going to cut this Mother's Day short. I'm just going to let you guys head out and enjoy your Mother's Day. How does that sound? Right? (laughs) No, I think we're looking at this and you're like, Adam, I don't understand. What is in here that's going to communicate any more information to us? Because again, these are little pieces of information that we so easily gloss over and go, well, that's the end of the book. Let me close it up and go about my day. Now, first off, in verse 22, uh, he says, one more thing, prepare a guest room for me. I hope to be restored to you. There will be many people that I think attempt to spiritualize this. I think what this is basically saying is Paul is just saying, I'm under house arrest and I'm pretty sure I'm getting out of here. So I'm going to come visit you. I don't think there's anything more than that than other than Paul is saying, literally get a place ready because I'm going to come visit you when I get out of this. Now, the piece that we need to consider about this is the list of those names. One of those names that is mentioned is the name Mark. Now, Mark in in the scriptures is also known as John Mark. 
John is his Hebrew name, Mark being his Latin name. John Mark is also the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and we think that much of his testimonies were really based off of the, the Apostle Peter, that John Mark gets connected with him, spends a lot of time. Peter shares all of this information, takes Peter's stories, and then he goes and he writes the, the Gospel of Mark, which is the first gospel uh, that was written for us in the New Testament. So what we need to do to try to understand what is the history of one who forgives, we need to take a look at this relationship between Paul and John Mark and then how he translates that to what is going on with Philemon. So in order to do this, we need to try to understand some history here of what has happened between Paul and John Mark. So back in the book of Acts, again, Acts is the history and the spread of the church. Acts 9, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And he was a persecutor. He was a religious zealot that basically went around and was killing Christians and destroying the church. And he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the scriptures and inside and out. And he thought he was doing right by killing off all of these Christians. Well, it Paul then has this encounter with God as he's walking on the road to Damascus. God presents himself to Paul and he says, why are you persecuting me? He blinds him and he basically has this, this realization moment that this God that I've been fighting against is actually the God that I should be serving. And so he has this conversion experience. And he begins to preach and he makes his way down into Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, all the other apostles and disciples are very confused. And they're like, wait, what's going on here? This guy, Saul, who is now Paul, is preaching in the name of Christ. We don't we, we're staying away from this guy. This guy was trying to kill us. Well, along comes Barnabas. And Barnabas is, a, is another disciple and he puts his arm around Paul and he says, come on, I'll introduce you to the guys. Guys, it's OK. Don't worry. He's one of us now. And he begins to acclimate himself to the other disciples. So at this point, Paul and Barnabas have made their way up to Antioch. So they've gone from Jerusalem up to Antioch as, the, as the Christians are being persecuted and being spread all over. Antioch now is becoming kind of the, the, the hotbed of, of spiritual faith. And so Paul and Barnabas go up there to basically help teach the rest of the people at Antioch about who Christ is. And when he gets up there, uh, Acts eleven twenty six says, this is where disciples were first called Christians, meaning little Christ. And then after spending some time there, there's a famine. And so Acts eleven twenty nine. Paul and Barnabas are going to go back down to Judea and Jerusalem and basically bring some, some aid to their fellow brothers in Jerusalem. Well, while they're down there, they come across John Mark. They get to know him. They talk with him. And then in Acts 20, 25, they're going to bring him back to Antioch, right? So, so they're in Jerusalem, up to Antioch, back down Jerusalem. Now they're bringing back John Mark with them. And there's something about John Mark that has stood out to them that says, this is the guy that we want to bring with us. This is a guy that we want to invest in. This is somebody that's special and important. And we are going to care and make him part of our actual ministry. So they're back in Antioch and they spend some time there. And now we come to Acts 13. Verses 1 through 5. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, 
Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tatriarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, sailed there from Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So again, Antioch's growing. We can see the idea that it's got prophets and teachers. We, we see the coming together of the spiritual gifts. Uh, and, and the Spirit says, you're going to send out these two men. You're going to send them out on a missionary journey, and they're going to preach in my name. And they take John Mark with them. And so they're preaching, and they're going around. And then we come to Acts 13, 13. From from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So they're going around visiting different cities. And, and at some point, John Mark says, I'm done. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why. It could have been that perhaps he felt like that there was a lack of fruit. He wasn't seeing anything on these missionary journeys. Perhaps he, he was experiencing the hardship of what ministry was like. And, and he said, I'm not cut out for this. We don't know. But all we know is that they've chosen, that, that John Mark has chosen to leave Paul and Barnabas. And he goes back. And so at the end of Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas make it back to Antioch. They tell the church about everything that's happened on this first missionary journey and all of the, how the gospel's been shared and how people are coming to know Christ. And they spend some time there in Antioch again, continuing to teach in what's been going on. And so at this point, we're at about year 47 A.D. Okay, so, so at the end of this year 47 A.D., this has been going on. They spend some time there. And now we come to Acts 15, starting in verse 36. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul says, we need to go back. These, these churches that we were helping, we need to go back and see how they're doing. We need to check in on them. And as they get ready to go, Barnabas is like, great, let me go get John Mark. He's going to come with us. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? We're not, we're not taking John Mark here. And, and so this issue arises. Now, a couple of these, these words here, when Barnabas says he wanted, it communicates persistent and a determined request, right? Barnabas was insistent and he said, John Mark is coming with us. Deserted carries the term of abandonment. It really actually kind of alludes to this idea of rebellion or revolt, and even in some cases, the idea of apostasy. So when Paul says John Mark abandoned, deserted us, he really sees it as an act of rebellion 
against what they're trying to do. In the word sharp disagreement, or in some context it uses the words dispute, it's an intensity, an irritation, exasperation, a heated conflict. It's where we get the word uh, paroxysm, which means a sudden violent emotion. Okay? So these words are important to help us understand. Because it's not just John Mark or Barnabas saying, let's go get John Mark. And Paul saying, you know, I really appreciate that sediment, Barnabas, but I, I don't think it's going to work out. So you can just tell him kindly he can come maybe on the next missionary trip. But I think for this one, we're going to leave him. No, it, it really was probably more along the lines where he says, I'm going to go get John Mark. And Paul's like, no way. You're crazy. We're not taking this guy. Paul, you can't tell me we're not taking John Mark. He needs to be with us. No, there is no way that he is going to come. He abandoned us. He deserted us. I am not taking him. Paul, you are a jerk. Barnabas, you are a jerk. That's probably what was happening in this situation. Okay. That there was an intensity and there was an animosity that existed and they were pretty much having a screaming match with each other over whether or not to take John Mark. To eventually we get to the point where Paul's like, forget it. Barnabas, you go ahead and take him and do your own thing. I'm taking Silas and I'm going to go somewhere else. So we have this literal split amongst the apostles here, amongst the disciples of leadership about what to do. Now, a lot of people look at this and they go, how could this be? How could you have two men of faith have such a disagreement? I mean, shouldn't they have been able to work out their problems? This does not seem like a godly act to me. We have to remember, guys, we were all sinners. And not until we are home in the presence of the Lord will that final removal of sin be gone from us. And Luke himself also does not take sides. He simply pre pre presents the facts as they are. He doesn't say Barnabas is right and he doesn't say Paul is right. He simply just says, here's what happened. Now, this might be helpful for us to understand is if we understand it from Barnabas's perspective and if we also understand it from Paul's perspective. This may give us a little bit more context as to why each man was so heated in the process. So... Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement, and we're told in Colossians 4 that Barnabas and John Mark are actually cousins. Okay? So there's a family connection there between the two. And we have to imagine that if, if your name implies encouragement, that you are going to be the person that is going to do the encouraging. It, this is a natural conclusion that Barnabas is going to be the guy that says, let me... Can we give John Mark another chance? I know, I know he deserted us, but let's give him another chance. Hey, John Mark, listen, I know things were hard. I know it was tough. Listen, ministry's not easy. I get it. You're going to learn from this, and, and, and you're going you're gonna to get better, and, and things are going to get easier, and God's going God's gonna to do something great in your life, John Mark. You know, it, it's okay. Listen, so, so don't worry about what happened. We all make mistakes. Now, I want you to get back into the game and I want you to do a better job. OK, that's Barnabas's perspective. Paul, on the other hand, was an apostle 
And an apostle literally means sent out, right? It's the man on a mission. So literally he was on a mission as well as that was his mentality. You know, if, you, if he took the spiritual gifts personality on the disc test, Paul is the high D person. And what that means is Paul is decisive and he is determined and he is demanding. He is the take charge, task oriented. I'm going to get the job done. Nothing is going to stand in my way. Uh, either you get on the bus or get off the bus, but I do not have time for quitter type of personality. And if you're going to cost Paul the game, he's gonna let you know, hey, you messed up and you cost us the game. Okay, so two different personalities that existed that had a different sense. Barnabas was all about the relationship and Paul was all about the mission over John Mark and they had the split. Now, the, the nice part of this is, you know, that essentially you have two different missionaries that have now been sent out. So at least there's a positive that instead of one missionary, you've got two different groups of missionaries going out. But this is probably about six months to a year later than the argument that Paul and Barnabas had. So six months to a year later, Paul has not reconciled with John Mark. He has not come to grips. He's not offered for forgiveness. They haven't sat down and had a heart to heart and said, I'm sorry, let's work this out. Paul was still pretty upset with John Mark. And so then he writes this letter to Philemon. And this letter to Philemon was written around the year 60 AD. So by the time he writes to Philemon, we're talking about 10, 12 years later after this event. And so Philemon says, Paul, you don't understand. You're asking me to forgive Onesimus. He really made me mad. He costs me time and energy. He frustrates me, Paul. You're asking me to forgive. This is a slave, Paul. I don't have to forgive. This, this was my property, Paul. I don't, I don't have to bring him back into the fold. I can punish him if I want to. So if Philemon's going to say that, Paul has the ability to turn around and say, no, Philemon, I exactly get what you're going through. I know exactly how you feel. Because I have a history that I had to work through, that I had to deal with. I know exactly what you're saying. And so when he writes the book of Philemon in verse 24, he calls John Mark a fellow worker. A fellow worker. This was the same guy that Paul refused to take and chose to split with Barnabas over this issue. So at some point they reconciled. I don't know. The scriptures doesn't tell us. But at some point, Paul and, Paul and uh, John Mark probably had that heart to heart. And they sat down and they talked about it. And, and he plays off this idea. Remember Onesimus' name means useful. And he says, look, Philemon, you thought he was useless but Onesimus has been useful to me while he's here in prison. Just like at one time, I thought John Mark was useless, 
But guess what? Now John Mark has become useful. We've been in ministry, we're proclaiming the gospel, and we're serving together. So, so why can I ask you to forgive? Because I've had that in my history as well. And it just doesn't stop there. Because Paul understands what forgiveness really is. Remember back in, in Acts 9, he has this encounter with the Lord. He's out there, he's, he's persecuting Christians, he's killing them. And then he has this encounter with God. And here's what God tells him in Acts 9, verse 15. The Lord speaks of Paul. He says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Christ was willing to forgive Paul despite everything that Paul had done against God's people. And later in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. See, Paul came to know the depths of Christ's love. Paul came to know who he was as a sinner. Paul came to understand what it meant to forgive and to be forgiven. And he would go on to know just how much he would have to suffer. We, from church history, we're told that uh, at the end of his time in around 68 AD, Paul would be beheaded by the emperor Nero for his faith. And here's something else that I want us to see about this relationship between Paul and John Mark. That Paul spends about the last probably eight years of his life between imprisonment. So he was under house arrest. He gets out. He gets arrested a second time. But this time he's in the prison dungeon. This time Paul begins to understand. I don't think I'm getting out of here. I think my life is going to come to an end. And so because of that, he writes the book of 2 Timothy. He's already written to Timothy, his protege, once before, where he says, here's how the church works, here's how this needs to happen. And now he writes, the second, he writes 2 Timothy, but it's much more personal, much more intimate. And here's what he writes in, in verse 4, or in chapter 4. He writes to Timothy, again, he thinks, he knows the end is near. He's not getting out of this. He's going to die. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Titius to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with, it, that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchment. I'm going to die. I'm going to die, Timothy. The only person here with me is Luke. So here, here's what I need. I need you to come. And I need you to bring my jacket. And I need you to bring my scrolls. And I need you to bring my papers. And I need you to bring John Mark. We, we need to look at this 
Like it, it, it's, it's somebody on death row and they go, you get your final meal. What do you want to have to eat? And Paul could have said anything that he wanted. And he said, I want you, Timothy. I want my jacket. I want my scrolls. I want my papers. And I want John Mark. So when Paul writes Philemon, he requests forgiveness, not because of his authority, but he requests forgiveness because of his history. Paul, more than anyone, understood what it meant to be forgiven and to have to forgive. So here's what I want us to try to understand as we walk away. Don't ever say forgive and forget to somebody. And if somebody ever says to you, just forgive and forget it, don't believe that. As I've already said, we are humans. We have memories. We have recollections. We have emotions. At some point, it's probably going to come back. Even if you have chosen to forgive, there's going to be a time that something reminds you and the pain's going to come back and the hurt's going to come back and the frustration's going to come back and you're going to say, but I forgave that person. But you are also human. And it becomes a matter of what do we do with that? Do I continue to let it gnaw at me and I continue to fester on it and get angry and go, you know, I forgave that guy, but he's such a jerk. I never should have done that. Or do we do what I, I said to do last week, where we take that again and we put it in our bag and we go, Christ, I got to give this back to you. And we pray that if you have gone through something, that you've gone through some hurt or pain, I pray that less and less those memories come back to you. I pray that when the hurt comes back to you, it impacts you less and less, and it does not rob you of the joy in the Lord. That is my prayer and my desire. But again, I know that we are human beings, and that's just not going to happen to say I will never, ever remember it. You know, I have to be honest with you. I, I believe that at some point, Paul and John Mark have that conversation probably multiple times. That is, they're doing ministry together. I'm pretty sure it probably came back to them where Paul's probably like, John, remember that time you abandoned us? And he's like, man, I was going through that. I can't believe I did that. Man, I was so mad at you, John Mark. Man, me and Barnabas got in a fight over that. Oh, man. And then there's that sigh of reflection like, yeah. I'm probably sure that they probably happened a lot between the two of them. But if we understand the scriptures, and we understand that God has called us to forgive, we have some of these verses here. Luke tells us to be merciful just as your father is merciful. 1 Corinthians tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. And 1 Peter 4.8 tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. Again, it's not that I won't ever remember, but it's that I'm always going to have love for you moving forward. It's that I'm going to desire what is best for you. And I'm not going to keep punishing you over what has happened. So when we look at the history of Paul's life with John Mark, about what it was and what that relationship turned into and how meaningful it became it's not forgive and forget. It really is forgiven forward. 
that we can't continue to let the hurt and the pain of our past hold us there. And we can't continue to hold people in the past. Because see, if we offer forgiveness, forgiveness will never change what has happened to us. But if we are willing to forgive, it will change our future together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, your word is so good. Father, you are so good. Again, in our sins, you chose to die on the cross and you chose to forgive. Lord, I think about Peter so many times who denied you and then became a champion for you and gave his life for you. Lord, my prayer and my desire again has been for us to, to... expose us to this idea of forgiveness, to lay it upon our hearts and say, God, what is still lingering in there that I've yet to forgive? Who is it that I've yet to forgive or ask for forgiveness from? And I continue to pray that your spirit comes down with a weight of conviction because the Lord, the unity between us and you and the unity that exists between us as brothers and sisters in Christ is far more valuable than the hurt that we hold on to and the past that we cling to. So Lord, may you be gracious. May you work in us to give us a spirit of of peace, a spirit of love and a desire to reconcile and always remembering that you chose to first do that for us so we can extend that to others. Amen.